Welcome to the Roadmap to Wealth show. The show is hosted by the Invest Tribe community, a total European resource for anyone looking to succeed in all sorts of investing. Real estate, stock market, bonds and ETFs, cryptocurrency, foreclosure, peer-to-peer lending, business and startups. Before we get to today's interview, if you are a new listener, be sure to go to investtribe.org and subscribe because we offer content, tools and an international community of experts, newbies and everyone in between to help people to learn investing, network, find partners, deals and financing and make the best investing decisions possible. Let us start the show. Today, my guest is Rodney Hobson, financial writer, speaker, author of successful book on stock market investing for beginners, shares made simple. Rodney runs a seminar for less experienced investors every year at the London Investor Show. Thank you, Rodney, for taking time to talk to us with your extremely busy schedule. Can you tell us how about yourself? How did all this started? Why you become first interested in stock market? Well, I've been a journalist all my working life, and I've always been interested in figures. I was quite good at maths at school, so I enjoyed figures, and that interested me with the stock market. And I, in fact, got more into stock market uh, reporting when I went to live in Hong Kong, and I worked for a magazine called the Far Eastern Economic Review, and I was deputy business editor there, so I got very much into it. I was business editor on the Singapore Monitor, and I came back and rejoined the Times where I'd just been a general sub-editor. I rejoined as news editor on Business News, so I really got into it. And I came, that was in 1985, just at the time of the Big Bang in the London stock market where everything was getting technological. And so there was a great leap forward there in terms of stock market investing generally. So this was a very exciting time to get into it. Yes, I see it. So what? Uh, when did you make your first significant investments in stocks and shares? I did run an investment club with other journalists quite a few years ago, but I didn't really get into stock market investing seriously until, surprisingly, 2009. Like most people, I'm so busy trying to make a living, I haven't time to make money. Mm-hmm. And In 2009, I thought I really must take this seriously. If I'm going to talk about how people should invest, I ought to do it myself. So in 2009, I started building a a portfolio. Now, looking back, this looks like a very good time to start. The markets were recovering uh, from the great crash in 2008. But at the time, it didn't seem like that. We had no guarantees everything was going to recover. The com- countries and companies were heavily in debt. There were great schemes both in America, in Europe, and in the United Kingdom to try to pour money into the economy to get it going again. So it was a very scary time, but I thought this was a good time to start, and it proved to be extremely good timing. Absolutely. Sorry, I started building a portfolio at that point. Yes, it did. It was a very good time. It's something similar with uh, this, but not what's going on right now, but soon. (laughs) Well, that may be the case. Yes, 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 exactly. Uh, The next question is, you wrote your book, Shares Made Sample, A Beginner's Guide for the Stock Market. 
which is already the third edition. So why did you write this book? Well, I mentioned that I became news editor on Business News at the Times in London in 1985. And that was the time of the great changes. And a lot of people were getting shares because Margaret Thatcher, the British Prime Minister, had decided to sell off in privatisation, sell off so many government stocks, and people were buying these shares, but they had really no idea what they got. We also found at the same time she was encouraging building societies, which are very much a British idea, but there were sort of mutual societies for house buying, but she was encouraging them to turn into banks with shareholders. And so a lot of people got these shares free or paid for them from the government. But when they got them, they'd no idea what they'd got. They'd no idea what stock market announcements were all about. They'd no idea how to sell their shares. So they were ringing up the news desks of national newspapers. And I had this experience, not only the Times, but also through the 1990s when I was working on the finance desk at the Daily Mail. They were ringing up, wondering what was happening with their shares and why share prices were changing. And I said to one person who rang up, and I knew the answer before he told it me. I said, well, your share price has just moved. Didn't you read the information you got from the company? And he said, oh, no, I don't understand all that sort of stuff. I threw it in the bin. And I thought, someone ought to write a book that explains all this to shareholders, to people who've been subbed in, who could make money, but haven't a clue what is going on. And I started right at the beginning. I thought the big disadvantage of asking an expert to explain anything to you is they don't start at the bidding. If I'm to start at the bidding, we start with what is a share? What rights does it give you? What obligations to give you? What can you do with it? And build the whole thing up step by step. Learn what it's all about before they even start thinking about buying the shares and trading them. It's rather like, you know, you ask a computer expert to explain the computer to you. The one thing he'll never tell you is how to switch the computer on. Mm -hmm. I thought, what I want to do is start right at the beginning. Don't assume anything. Like the philosopher Descartes, assume no knowledge, start right at the beginning and build it up. And that's what I set out to do so that ordinary people who knew nothing about the stock market, knew nothing about investing, could actually start and do it knowledgeably. Thank you very much. So now it's a, uh, it's a kind of a beginner question. What is the difference between a bull or beer market? And what are your investment strategy in both markets? Right. A bull market is one where shares are rising. And this would apply to any kind of stock market. If you're a bull on the gold market, you think the gold market is going to rise. Bulls are the optimists. They think the prices will get better. Buy now before the price goes up. Right. Now, the bull market, bulls are the pessimists. Bulls think the prices are going to fall. You should get out, sell anything you're holding. The price is going to get worse. Get out while you've got chance. So those are the, the, the two things. And they run side by side. And sometimes, yes, prices rise. Sometimes prices fall. Uh, so you do need a different strategy. Now, when you are buying... In a rising market, it often makes sense to buy what are known as cyclical shares. These are companies that make money in the good times, don't do so well in the bad times. Whereas when, the, when you've got a bear market, 
you want what are known as defensive shares. These defend you against the worst falls in the stock market. These are companies that you need all the time that are going to make money even a bad market so the share price won't fall back so badly. Now, let's take retailing, for example. Clothing, you spend, and jewellery, you'll spend much more on these in the good times. You could do without them, but in the good times, these shares are going to do well. Supermarkets, you're going to have to eat. So even if shares are falling generally, the supermarkets will tend to go uh, do reasonably well. Banks will tend to do fairly well. Utilities will tend to do fairly well, even if the market is falling. So you're looking for these defensive stocks when the market falls, the stocks that are solid and boring. I would say, though, that for any investor, particularly those who are not particularly sophisticated, solid, boring companies are good any time. Stock market isn't about getting rich quick. If you want to do that, buy a lottery ticket. But if you want to build your wealth sensibly, solidly, surely, then you do it through sensible investing. And the solid, boring stocks are the ones that over time will always do best. They're good stocks to have, in my opinion, whether the market's rising or falling. Okay, I say you speak about blue chips. About, sorry? Blue chips. Companies. Blue chips. Yes. Yeah. Well, yes, that's right. Yes, I'm sorry. Yes. Yes, the blue chips. Blue chips are the, the big companies. Mm-hmm. In the London stock market, for example, there's, there's what's known as the FTSE 100 index. And that is all about the, the 100 biggest companies on the exchange. They're the ones who are more solid, who are not going to suffer too badly when the market falls. We're going to see you through. There'll be ones that pay solid, reliable dividends, make solid, reliable profits. If they weren't making profits, if they weren't paying dividends, people wouldn't be buying the shares. The company price, share price would fall. They'd drop out of the index. So yes, the blue chips, for me, the less sophisticated you are as an investor, the more you should go for the blue chips first and learn how it's done. Absolutely, I agree with you. Uh, so, uh, what is your secret? How do you know where to buy and sell? The short answer is you don't. I wish I could say, yes, there's a light comes on green, you rush out and buy. There's a light comes on, it says red, a bell rings, you get out. I'm afraid you have to um, use your own judgment. When you buy shares, you're buying from another investor. Now, that investor thinks it's a good time to sell. You think it's a good time to buy. When you sell shares, another investor thinks this is a good time to be buying them. You match the two bargains up. This is how the stock market works. You have to use your own judgment. And this is very important because so many people think if I make money, I keep it. And if I lose money, somebody's going to come along and compensate me. No, this isn't the way it happens. What you have to do is form your own judgment. You know, first of all, whether you've got money to invest. You know whether the stock market is moving up or down. You can form some kind of judgment. You can look at a company's results and see how well it is doing. And you must form your own judgment. I'm afraid nobody is going to come along and say, this is the moment. It just doesn't happen that way. Yes, absolutely. Uh, a lot of people would like to try uh, out investing because they say that's where his money is. What do you think about it? Yes, I think investing is the way to make money. And 
rich people do it, and they're rich because they invest well. <laughs> and so what you're yes, and so what you're looking for in investment is there are two ways of making money. One is your investment provides you with income. So, for example, you put money into a bank savings account, it pays you interest. That's your income, but the amount of money you put in stays the same. Now, some investments give you capital gains. That is, the value of the investment goes up. If you bought, for example, a Picasso painting, you're hoping that it will go up in value and somebody else will pay more for it. Gold is the same. You hope the value will go up. But these kind of investments don't actually give you any income. So you've got the two types. Now, there are two investments that give you both income and the chance of capital gains. One is the stock market and the other is property. And that is why so many rich people invest in those two uh, classes, because that's where you make the money. And your investments, you hope, will go up in time. So, for example, if you bought a house and rented it out, you've got income from the rental, you've got, you hope, a, a property that will appreciate in, in value, so you gain twice over. Same with shares. You hope, first of all, that you will get dividends, that's your income, and you hope that the shares will go up in value, that's your capital gain. The great thing about shares, though, is you can invest in small amounts. You can invest a thousand pounds, a thousand euros, thousand dollars, depending where you live, and you can dribble it in, in in comparatively small amounts. You can't buy a house room by room. The other thing about shares is that you can make your buys and sells fairly quickly. You can do it in seconds. Whereas if you're buying and selling property, it will take time for the purchase or the sale to go through. So that is the drawback. But those are the ways that you make money. And that's why investing in shares is so attractive. You can do it very easily. You can do it very quickly. And you stand to gain twice over. Absolutely. Thank you very much. Uh, out of the concept of making a big an investment in stock markets, uh, the market uh, sometimes become a, a ground for scammers. Your thoughts about it? Yes. No, scammers... Surprisingly easily recognized, which makes it so surprising, despite all the publicity people fall for it. First of all, scammers approach you. If you want to invest, you should be in control. You decide where you want to invest. You approach whoever can sell you the investment. When somebody cold calls you, when somebody rings you up or they send you an email, Cold callers are almost always scammers. In fact, I think I can say cold callers are scammers. And so you should be extremely suspicious of them. They try to push things at you. And your first question is, why are they offering this to me? Why are they trying to get rid of it? The reason is, it's probably worthless. They're trying to dump something on you that's of no use to you, of no value. So cold callers are the first thing you look out for. And the second thing is, you, they make you an unrealistic promise. If someone says, I'll guarantee you 10% a year, well, nobody can guarantee you 10% a year. It just That's isn't possible. So the more they offer you, the more it appeals to your greed, but the more sign it is that this is a scam. These are the two ways of recognizing scams. There are also other schemes, uh, financial scams. Can you give me some examples? 
Yes, well, one of the things that the cold caller will often push to you is this wonderful company that's doing so well and the shares are going to be listed on the stock market, but they're not listed yet. You've got the chance to go in cheap and you can get the shares and when they're listed, you can sell and you'll be able to sell at a profit. The chances are this company will never be listed. And if the company's shares are not traded on the stock market, you have no guaranteed way of ever getting out. So that, that is one scam. Another scam is anything that tries to get your bank details out of you, and particularly your PIN number. That's another obvious form of a scam. And particularly popular among scammers at the moment are scams where they ring you up and tell you that thieves have got a hold of uh, your bank details or somebody's trying to hang into your bank account or somebody's got a, a clone of your credit card and you must move your money quickly into the new bank account. Somebody rings you up and says, move all your money into this bank account. I'll give you the details. Don't do it. Because, mm-hmm. in fact, if the bank is ringing you and say, we know somebody's trying to hack into your account, it's up to the bank to do something about it. So many of these financial scams when you stop to think about them, are so obvious. So scammers will always try to panic you into acting very quickly before you've time to think about it. But never move money out of another account. Never give people your bank details or your PIN number. Why on earth do people believe complete strangers on the end of the phone? If their friends told them to do this, they'd say, no, I'm not doing it. A complete stranger comes on the phone I'll send you an email, and, and you follow them willy-nilly. So the, the important thing is that if you're giving away any of your financial details, these accounts, these scammers are always looking for some way to take money off you. So there's got to be some way of getting at your money, and one of them is the bank account details. So anything that asks for your bank account details be very suspicious. Thank you very much for your advice. Uh, Another, another question is direct or indirect investing in stock market. What type of investor will go for either of two, direct versus indirect investing in stock market? Right. I would always advise, if you've the courage to do it, and it does take a bit of courage to go in directly, buy the stocks and shares yourself. I think that is much better. But if, in fact, you don't feel you can do it, you're worried for some reason or other, it's better to go through funds such as investment trusts or, or unit trusts as we have in the UK or open-ended investment companies that they normally call now across Europe. Through some kind of fund, it's better than leaving your money in the bank account. These funds will tend to make money. They certainly make money over time. They are run by investment experts. And they should do well. You do occasionally get ones that fall apart badly, there is still some element of risk, but on the whole, a professional should do well. It is generally better than not doing anything. And the great thing about a uh, fund is that you get a spread of investments uh, straight away, which is, which is very useful because it hedges your bets against any shortfalls. But my view always is go directly into buying the shares your, yourself you will always do better, in my view, in the end. Yes, I've heard about this too. (laughs) 
mm-hmm. more and more people would like to venture into self-investing and doing it on their own, as you mentioned. Yeah. What are the common mistakes they make, the beginners? The most common mistake, and this is not just beginners, this is all professionals, you tend to forget trends run on much longer than you expect. So if share prices are rising, or if the gold price is rising, whatever, prices are rising, you think, oh, I've made a profit. Some people say a profit is a profit is a profit. You make a profit, you cash in, you think that's great. But in fact, because the trend runs longer than you expect, the share prices keep rising. And so my advice is stay in the share unless you reach a point where you feel there's some good reason to get out. If you have no reason to get out, don't sell. But the opposite is true on the downside. If your shares fall, the best thing is to cut your losses and get out. Most people think, I couldn't possibly have made a mistake, and professionals are just as bad as it. And I've done it myself. Yes, I'm guilty. <laughs> Share prices fall. You think, I can't possibly got it. They must turn around. I had a good reason to invest. They must turn around again. The share price fall will continue for much longer than you expect. And so it is often sensible to get out. But you should also make a sensible decision. A lot of investors take on things, oh, I hear that professionals have stop losses where you automatically sell if the share price drops, say, 5% or 10% or whatever, whatever average figure you put, put on it. So people think, oh, I'm going to be clever. I'm going to be like the professionals. Uh, and do it without understanding it. What you should do, if the shares go up or the shares go down, both the same, stop and think, is this still a good investment? Did I get it right? Will it carry on making money? If so, I stay in. Did I get it wrong? Did, did, the, did I mistake, miss something? The shares have fallen. Stop and take a conscious decision. If, in fact, you genuinely believe the shares will bounce back or stay in, you might even buy some more. But if you, in your heart of hearts, you know, you made a mistake, then you get out. So don't set yourself arbitrary targets. Don't set yourself arbitrary target prices. Take a conscious decision all the time. The stock market doesn't work on arbitrary arrangements. You have to think carefully each time you take a decision take a decision and take your own decision you don't have to watch the shares all the time i don't advise anybody to sit all night looking at their computer screen stock market investing should be fun so you don't be doing that all the time but you do have to make uh, conscious decisions and make your own decisions don't let the computer decide for you absolutely on the other hand what are the benefits of making their own investment choices well the The thing is that nobody knows like you what you want. Do you want income to live on? Do you want to invest and keep rolling up your investment because you don't need the money now, but you'll need it when you retire? You might want to be saving up for a house, for example. So you've got to decide what it is you want from the investments. Secondly, only you know what sort of risks you want to take and how great a risk you want to take. You can explain this to an advisor, but nobody knows quite as as you do. So you know what it is 
you want. You also know whether if you've got a lot of solid investments, you might say, well, I'll do something a bit of fun, take, take a bit of a risk. If you've done bodily previously and you think I want something solid, then you know you go for something solid. So you know what you want. Nobody else does. And that's the big advantage of you doing the investment yourself. You know what you want. Yes, and you have your own strategy, of course. You have Indeed, to create yeah. your own strategy and stick to it, especially. Yes, 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 quite. Well, stick to it. Yes, stick to it if it works. And that's the other thing is that some people say, I do this, do you do it? And I say, well, no, I don't. But if it works for you, it works for you, do it. So you find if your strategy works and it works for you, go ahead. I invest in shares. I don't buy gold. But if you find you've got a good nose for spotting when the gold price is going up and when it's going to come down and you act accordingly, fine, go ahead. But you learn your strategy. You learn what you're doing. Yes. And you know whether what you know what works for you. That's well worth doing. Thank you very much. Uh, what, what would you advise for the beginners if, if it has sense to hire uh, services of a trained financial advisor or they have to learn to somewhere else with head of coaches, trainers? What is the best thing, do you think? I, well, I don't go in for list for paying coaches. I wouldn't particularly advise it. I speak at the London Stock. Uh, the London Investor Show, as you mentioned uh, at the start, you can go along to these things and hear people for free and you can pick up their advice. Uh, but if you feel you can't do it for one reason or another, then by all means invest through a financial advisor. Fine. He's an, he's an expert. I would suggest that you ask around your friends, ask people you know who invest We've used our advisor. What's the advisor put in? Is the advisor sensible? Has the advisor made them, made them money? And so, yes, by all means, go through a, a financial advisor. It's much better than not investing at all if you've got money to, money to invest. Um, and, yes, make sure you talk to your advisor and make sure you're absolutely clear about what you want. Do bear in mind your financial advisor will ask you a lot of very personal questions that's right, the advisor must do. The advisor cannot offer you sensible advice unless they know all your ins and outs, all your income, all your expenditure, what you must pay, how much high purchase you've got, how much you own on the car, whatever. They've got to ask you a lot of questions. If they don't, then you should be very suspicious. You should also check what the financial advisor's charges are and decide whether you want to spend that money. But my general advice if you can find a good advisor, is go through our advisor rather than not invest money at all. Thank you very much for this advice. Uh, in the financial market, it is common knowledge that the higher risk is, the higher is the profit. Why is that? Well, if something is very safe, everybody wants to get into it. So the price goes up, in effect, and uh, you don't get so much return from it, but it's more solid. Now, if I'm offering you a very risky investment, you're going to say, well, what's in it for me? I can, I can get 3% investing in a good solid company. Uh, why should I invest in a really uh, risky company for then 3%? So on the whole, they will have to offer you more money. Now, we, 
there is the greater risk and there's a greater risk of failure. And one great example of this uh, was oh, just before the financial crash or around about that time, a lot of people were investing, were putting money on deposit with Icelandic banks because Icelandic banks were offering some of the five, six, seven percent interest rates. And nobody seemed to think, well, the, this is because it's more risky because they, they were lending out heavily and were seriously at risk when the financial crash came. And so it was. And a lot of people had their savings wiped out. So the more money you're offered, the riskier the investment. The riskier, invest, the riskier the investment, the more money you have to be offered to, to do it, although it's not worth it. Your only chance with higher risk investments is if you take several and one of them comes right. You can then stun the ones you lose on. But there is, there is, there's not an exact relationship, but there tends to be this general principle, if it's a bigger risk, I want a bigger reward, otherwise I'm not investing, I'm not taking the risk. Great. So how do you spread the risk and in investment? Uh, is it something that can be managed? Yes, it certainly can. Now, there's a general feeling in stock market circles, and I agree with this, that you want, if you're investing in shares, you want about 10 shares in your portfolio. If you're fewer, you're not spreading the risk. If you get more, then it starts getting, your portfolio starts getting unmanageable. So new investors, aim for 10. You don't have to buy them straight away. You can build up your portfolio. And also, you want them in different categories. You want a bank, you want a house builder, a utility company, a manufacturing company. Spread it, spread it out. Also, it's good to spread geographic risk. Whatever country you're living in, you might want to invest in shares in that country uh, because you know them better. But it's also good to have companies with overseas interests, companies, some companies perhaps with big sales in America, some with sales in Europe, some that specialize in the Far East. So you spread the geographic risk. If there's a downturn in the Asia Pacific, maybe Europe's doing all right and will See you, seed you through. If there's a downturn in Europe, maybe the other two places are doing okay. So you spread, you spread the risk. Therefore, if one part of your portfolio, if you get one bad investment that falls, the others will carry you through. They've only got to be fairly solid and they will, they will carry you through. The same argument you could use in terms of not just investing in shares, but perhaps have a small portion of gold. I would suggest you never have more than 5% of your portfolio in gold uh, because you don't get any income and it can fall quite heavily, as we have seen in the past. Uh, and some people say have some company bonds rather than shares or some government bonds. Uh, they're not paying, government bonds aren't paying very well at the moment. Uh, in some European countries, we've actually got negative interest rates. But some people think it's a good idea to have bonds. Yes, it spreads the risk. So shares are falling. Very often when shares are falling, bond prices are rising and government bond prices are rising. So it can balance out the, the uh, portfolio. So I think that one should think in terms of not putting all the in one basket. Yes, do, do spread the risk. And it's very manageable. It's not difficult to do. Uh, thank you very much. It's absolutely fantastic. Uh, um, another thing I'm, I want to ask you, uh, you also wrote another book, Small Companies, Big Profits. What do you say that the profit margin is bigger than spreading in small companies? Yes, smaller companies tend to be riskier. And we've, they also carry the greater potential rewards. Uh, but smaller companies, 
they didn't have the financial muscle behind them. They tend not to have a lot of money to back them up. The banks aren't as keen to lend to them. They'll often lend on higher interest rates. So there's far more cases of smaller companies failing to make a profit, failing to pay a dividend, and actually going bust. Much more likely to do that than the blue chip companies, more solid, can see themselves through bad times. So the greater risk. But the big companies are already big. They're not going to grow all that much. The whole point about the small companies, if you hit one that is going to grow, uh, then you're in at the bottom. The growth is, is enormous. So you have the great potential. Uh, there's an example on the London Stock Exchange, the company called Domino's Pizza. Now, their symbol is a domino with one and two pips on it. They started off with three outlets, the now nationwide. Anybody who got in at the start there made enormous sums of money out of it. But for every one that really hits the big time, yes. there's an awful lot that may go bust. So investing in small companies is more difficult. I would advise new investors to take the big ones first and look at smaller companies later. But it's, it's a real knack. And if you're good at spotting the smaller companies and then make it good, like I say before, go for it. If it works for you, go for it. Thank you very much, Rodney. Uh, now, we now uh, experience some uh, coronavirus pandemic. And uh, now we also witness a, a due financial crisis, which is a little bit similar of 2008 uh, crisis. In um, what way it can be different from the last crisis we had? Yeah, yes. Every time the market falls heavily, it's the same, but it's different. Um, uh, yes, so if you're feeling the pain, it's all collapsing. I think that the big difference this time is it affects just about everybody. Uh, yes, there's one or two sectors doing well. Pharmaceuticals is going to do well, especially... Yeah what he finds the cure yes. or, or, or even the the vaccine uh, supermarkets are doing, doing yes, very well <laughs> so some people are doing well but this is much broadly more broadly spread in the financial crash in 2008 it was very much the banks and the banks were big and of course if banks fail and the great fear was if the banks fail they take everybody else down with them but it was more clear-cut. And there were things that people could do, things that governments could do. Governments plowed money. As you know, they plowed money into quantitative easing, which means just pumping money into the system to free it up and keep it going. There were things that, that could be done. So we didn't know whether it would work or not, but there were things you could do. Now, the trouble with the coronavirus is we've got the lockdowns, across Europe and now in America and in Asia. So we've got this spread much more widely. Uh, that is the great fear, and everybody is being hit. The banks, funnily enough in this case, are much more secure because governments made them bolster their balance sheets, and so they've got much more cash in hand. Uh, so that is one thing. And there's also nothing really, that governments can do to tackle the real root cause, which, of course, is the virus. You hope that something will turn up, a vaccine or a cure, it will turn up, but it's very much 
waiting and we don't know how long we're going to sit around waiting and that is the great unknown. So it is very difficult to, to say quite how we come out of this, but we will. Of course, of course. Uh, what is the market outlook for the rest of 2020? A lot depends clearly on how soon we can come out, how soon we can start ending the lockdowns. And governments may start to free things up because the economic cost does have to be weighed, I'm sorry to say, against the human life. Because if the whole, column, if the whole economy collapses, then everybody suffers. And, and people die anyway. So I'm afraid there is a there is a personal cost even so. So governments may try to keep economies going, even at the risk of the virus spreading, if it can spread in a contained way. Now, if we can start pulling ourselves together by, say, June, I think the second half of the year will do really well. I don't think we will bounce back as fast as we came down, because... Share price falls, bear markets where prices fall on the stock market, you come down for June. Bull markets last much longer, but they come up more gradually, so you're coming up slowly and surely. So I don't think we will bounce back anything like the way we have fallen, but I think we will come back. I think somehow or other we will start getting back to normal. And we may get a big bounce as people who got out suddenly start to think that we better get in. And I think the stock market has bottomed out quite well. Uh, what will happen to the gold market is interesting. The price has been creeping up almost a notice. We're now up to $17,000 an ounce, which isn't so far short of the $19,000. Sorry, $1,900, it says. It's $1,700. Uh, it's not far short of the peak. So we may see gold continuing to rise. That may very well happen. But I think the stock market will start to recover in the second half. I think it won't be a great big bounce back. And, of course, one never knows. So that's the great fun of stock market investing. You don't know the future. Otherwise, if we all, if we all knew, we'd all be out buying now. And uh, uh, so we have to see. Yes, absolutely agree with you. Uh, so this is the last question. Uh, what is the best strategy investor can apply now? What do you think? It's a good time now to buy or stocks, especially dividend stocks and ETFs, or we have to wait, or what, whatever. <laughs> what do you think? Right. Yes, I think that one should go to companies that do have some cash, a lot of companies could have paid the dividend. The banks is particularly a case in this. Many of the banks could have paid a dividend, but are not doing. Uh, it would have been rather bad taste, I think, to be paying dividends out in the middle of the crisis. But they still have the cash. I think that any company that could have paid a dividend will start paying them as soon as possible. Directors don't like missing the dividend. So look for that kind of, of company. Companies already carrying heavy debts I think will really struggle. They're the ones who are going to find it difficult to come out of it because if you're having to borrow more money just to keep going while you've no income, then that's piling debt onto debt. They're the ones who really struggle. So I think that you look for the companies that we still need, companies that, that can still bounce back, companies that, that could pay a dividend, uh, these are the ones. And I think also try to look at, at company shares and see how far they've fallen and say to yourself, have they, this share price has collapsed 
because this company is really risky or has the com- it collapsed just because the whole market's collapsed and this company has been punished unfairly and this company is okay. These are the ones to look at. Whose shares got pulled down unfairly? Those are the companies to look for. Thank you very much, Rodney, for your advice. Uh, I can talk to you all day about the stock market, and it's really fantastic. So please tell us how the listeners can find you. Anybody who wants to can contact me at on email. It's rodhobson at hotmail.com, and I do respond to all emails, though it may take a little while I'm busy. I will respond. If you want to follow my comments on Twitter, it's at Rodney Hobson. I also write two investment columns, one for a finance company called Morningstar, another for Interactive Investor. So you can look at what I'm saying on those sites and just type in my name in the search engine and my articles will come up. Or if you put my name into your computer search engine, You'll find ways of contacting me on there, but please do bear in mind, I'm not the Rodney Hobson who runs karate shops. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that's another Rodney Hobson. Okay. <laughs> Otherwise, anything that's got my name on it, please feel free to, to contact me. I love to hear from other investors, and I love to hear other people's comments, especially when they disagree with me, because that's how you learn. Yes, exactly. Thank you for uh, for your time, Rodney. It was a pleasure to have you here on the show and have a nice day and see you soon. Thank you very much for the opportunity. I love talking about investments. <laughs> Thank you very much. Have a nice day. Bye-bye. Thank you for checking out the show. And don't forget, you can find all the resources, links and show notes over at investtribe.org. See you next week on the Roadmap to Wealth show.